We come to now chapter 10 of 2 Chronicles. And Solomon, we left off where Solomon has stepped into eternity. He's gone. He had a great beginning. He had a poor ending. Chronicles didn't really focus on his moral failures. That's, you get more of that in Kings. But this is more uh, like a press release of just the facts and data for the captives returning from Babylon, the context of the book of Chronicles. And so we just had the more the administrative information of his life and ministry and his reign as king. But he has stepped into eternity, and now his son Rehoboam is going to come to power. And as we connect the passages from Kings with this text, we know that as Solomon built altars for all of his wives, his pagan wives, and the false god altars he built, that God chastened him for it, and he began to raise up adversaries against him. And he had a great uh, person that worked underneath him. He's, in fact, in charge of a lot of things for the tribe of Joseph, that's Ephraim and Manasseh, and his name was Jeroboam. And he began, he was ambitious, and Solomon really liked that because he's an ambitious kind of guy himself. So he hired him, and he was one of his main management people. But then that was the guy that God was going to use to chase in Solomon. So Jeroboam fled because Solomon started picking on him, and he fled to Egypt. And so that's the background of this chapter tonight as we come into Rehoboam becoming king. Jeroboam is going to come into the picture as well. And tonight we focus on the life, the legacy of King Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. Chapter 10, verse 1 reads like this. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it, for he was in Egypt, where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon, that Jeroboam returned from Egypt. Then he sent for him and called him. And Jeroboam and all Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke, or our work, uh, heavy. Now therefore lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. So Rehoboam, he said to them, Come back to me after three days, and the people departed. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he was still living, while he was still alive. And they said, uh, he said, How do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him saying, look, if you're kind to these people and please them and speak good words to them, they'll be your servants forever. But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him. And he said to them, what advice do you give and how should we answer this people who have spoken to me saying, lighten the the yoke or the workload which your father put on us. And then The young men who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, Hey, thus you should speak to the people who have spoken to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you will make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add your yoke. And my father chastised you with wits, but I will chastise you with scourges. So he said, Basically, I'm going to make it harder than my dad did. Verse 12. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day as the king had directed, saying, Come back to me the third day. And then the king answered them roughly. And so Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders, and he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to it. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So the king did not listen to the people. For the turn of events was from from God, and that the Lord might fulfill his word, which had spoken by the hand of Ahijah, the Sholonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. That was recorded for us in the book of Kings. Now, when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king and said, Hey, what share what shall have we in David, or literally the tribe of Judah? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to your tents, O Israel, 
Now see to your own house, O David. So all Israel departed by the, to their tents. But Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam set Hodoram, who was in charge of revenue, he's a tax collector, and but the children of Israel stoned him with stones and he died. Therefore Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem. So he fled there from the north to the south and consolidated. And so Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. That last verse, verse 19, so Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. That summarizes centuries of the history of Israel as a divided kingdom, and this is when it began. Now, there is that reference that the matter was of the Lord, and we need to address that first, because when Jeroboam fled for his life, God sent the prophet to him there in the book of Kings and said, the kingdom of Israel is going to be divided, and you get ten shares, and two will remain with Judah. And that's exactly what happened. So remember, there's 12 tribes. And so 10 tribes would be in the north. They became the northern kingdom. Two tribes in the south, Judah and Benjamin, would be in the south. So all those subsequent heirs in the dynasty of David all ruled over Judah in the south. About 20 kings, quite a few of them good kings. All those kings in the north, they, were, of course, were taken away in 722 B.C. They didn't exist as a nation as long as the southern kingdom did. They existed until 586, so that's about 100 you know, 30, 150 years difference, they didn't have one good king. So the entire time, the northern kingdom, that's Ahab and all those guys, they never had one good king. And this is where it all began. This is the background to the divided kingdom that we, of course, spent quite a bit of time looking at last year when we we're in the back end of 2022 and as we were going through kings. And so now we, we, we come here and we see this text where Rehoboam's coming to power. Now Solomon had hundreds of wives and concubines, and he had all kinds of sons and uh, offspring and whatnot. When we read about David and his wives and his sons, we, we got names, we got wives, we got all this stuff. We don't get anyone with Solomon. This is the only one. This is the only one. The, Rehoboam's the only guy we get listed, and he obviously was chosen by Solomon to be his heir and his successor, and he's going to inherit the kingdom. He's going to inherit the mightiest kingdom in all the history of Israel because what Solomon inherited from David, he expanded economically and militarily, and now Rehoboam gets it, and he's the guy, but then the kingdom gets divided right away as the consequence of Solomon's sins. We sin out of our own choice. Our rebellion is our choice. God is light, and him is no darkness at all. So anytime you read a text like this where it says, hey, it went bad, but the matter was of the Lord, basically what you can say is God just gave them over to themselves to do what they're going to do anyways. That's what he did. Rehoboam had no heart for the Lord, and God just removed his protection from the Lord, and we're going to see in a couple of chapters here, it all went bad for him. He brought it on himself, essentially, is what we're saying about Rehoboam and the decisions that he made. And here, this critical decision on this three-day period, he made the worst decision possible, where he had good counsel. Had he heeded that counsel, it probably, from a human standpoint, would have preserved the kingdom, but then the matters of the Lord of the kingdom was going to be divided. God just let them do what they're going to do, and he let them be who he's going to be. And God forbid he let us do what we're going to do and be what we're going to be apart from the Lord, right? Yes and amen. Seriously. God forbid that he would restrain us from, not restrain us from our evil and our flesh and our lust and our pride. We need him to restrain us, and this is what happens when he doesn't. When people harden their hearts and God's like, you want to build your world and have your thing? Go do it. There you go. Follow bad counsel, and that's exactly what happened. Now, as we think about this, it is worth noting 
the, the council and influences. We, we learned early on in high school our peer group and the pressure of our peer group and how people influence us and you know, we make bad decisions because of our peer group. Rarely do we make good decisions. In, I mean, you can have a good peer group in high school, so good for you. I did not, so I just associate it more with people that with bad decisions, right? And it's been said in the business world and in life in general, we're the sum total of the five people we surround ourselves with. We're the sum total of that. And we, we, we take on the character. That's why, I like, for example, if you're a skater and you hang out at a skate park, within only six months or less, you'll begin to look like all the other skaters at a skate park. You'll wear the beanie, you'll have the baggy pants, and you'll take on the same culture. It's what you do. If you're a baller and you're a baseball player and you play travel ball baseball and you're 12 years old and you're a boy, you'll start, you know, you'll have your cool gear, your cool bag with all your gear, and you'll begin to act like a baller. And you'll act like all the other ballers and you, you do what they do. And that's just, if you're in the drama, if you're drama at school and you're in the drama team and you do the theater, you'll start acting like all the other theater people. You'll dress like them, you'll talk like them, and act like them. And when the, when the performance is over, you go to Norm's at 2 in the morning and celebrate your final show and, and stay up till 4 laughing with your friends. I know that because that's what Hannah did, my daughter, when she did drama at Calvary. Whenever they finish the production, they'd all end up there and do that. We all know that we become like the people we hang out with. You become a surfer, I mean, in the 70s, uh, it was bell-bottom cords, wallabies, T-shirt, and a Pendleton, and listen to Led Zeppelin. That's surfing in 1975. In case you missed that, you didn't get that memo. That's how it was. And single fins, and we become the total of who we hang out with. So it's really important as we're adults to make sure we're hanging out with the right people, and the right people are influencing us for our decisions. We want to surround ourselves with people who give us the right influence. Now, we're talking personal relationships, first of all. Because there was this board of elders for Solomon. These are the wisest men on planet Earth, and they gave him good counsel, and he rejected it. But so often, people reject good counsel because they want to do bad things, right? I mean, you find this in ministry. There's a church that will agree with whatever you want to do, however you want to live your life. And if you, you just degenerate yourself, you go from a Bible-believing evangelical church, and you just water down church, water down church, water down church, and you'll eventually find a church that will pat you on the back as you're headed to the grave in your sin, uh, given over to the devil. You can find, if you're determined to not obey the Lord, you'll, you'll find, if you're determined to do something, you're going to do it. I've been in ministry for 35 years, and I've heard people justify just every sin that is imaginable underneath the sun, because we usually justify ourselves. And if you're determined to do it, you're, you're going to do it. Or, and you'll find people, you can usually find someone somewhere that will justify you avenging yourself or cheating on someone or, or stealing or lying. Like, you could just, like, if you're going to do it. What we learn in life is we don't want to surround ourselves with yes people, but people who tell us what we need to know, not what we want to know. Or, or what we need to hear, not what we want to hear, is how we'd say that. That was a critical lesson for me in life. I surrounded myself with yes men for 24 years. And they just took me in the wrong direction. But when I got serious with Christ and God brought Brian Broderson into my life and other people like that, Eddie Hill, these different people, they spoke life into me. And even Victor Marks had a big influence on me early on in ministry. And these people all love the Lord. And they, it began to wear off on me. And it began to shape my worldview and set my standards. And I, as iron sharpens iron, these are good men Actually, all of them are walking with the Lord to this day, and they, they shaped and molded my character 36 years ago. I got away from the guys I used to party with, and, you know, once I didn't want to go clubbing, then there was nothing to do and hang out with them. 
Once I didn't want to smoke weed, there's just nothing to do. You know, it's just like we couldn't, we couldn't really serve together. You know, I made him uncomfortable because I was going to a church that believed the Bible, and that's just the way it went. When we think about people that we let push our buttons and influence our life, it's really important that we consider their faith and their fruit and their future. When someone's coming in your life, and especially with young people, when someone's coming in your life and, and they want to kind of manipulate or control it or in, they're influencing you, and maybe they're a new boss or a new neighbor or whatever, you know, some people are like that, you just have to ask yourself, if you're giving them influence in your life, what, what, is, what, is, the, what, is, the, what is their faith? What do you see in their faith? And what is their fruit? And what is their future? And they say this in the business world, don't take advice from anyone that you wouldn't want to switch places with. But it's amazing how you let the village idiot tell you what to do and you heed their counsel sometimes. Don't, don't receive counsel and advice from anyone that you're not willing to trade your places with. Solomon's counselors were the wisest people on planet Earth, and you would want to trade places with them. These are good men. They steered this economic enterprise, military enterprise, political strength. These are the guys who, like, yeah, look at their life. Look at their fruit. Look at their legacy. Instead, your guys that you grew up with, that you went to high school with, your posse, they haven't worked a hard day in their life because they're living off your, your, tr- your gravy train because you're Solomon's kid and everything's been handed to you. They're going to tell you what you want to hear. They don't know anything about leading people. They're totalitarians and authoritarians. They, didn't, they never earned the right. They never received the respect of leadership. David had to earn the right to be king of Israel, right? We saw that. He had to win them with how he served them as a servant king. He was willing to die for them in their place with the plague. Remember that? Great leadership is earned through humility and service. And good decisions are made when we surround ourselves with people who are producing good fruit and a good future and a legacy. You just look at anyone and say, like, this person's trying to influence me. What's their life look like? If they're trying to give you marriage advice, how are they in the relationships? They're trying to give you advice on boys and girls. Like, what's the fruit of their life? What's, you know, if they're trying to give you financial advice, well, what kind of financial basis do they have to give you advice? How are their finances looking? Are they, are they good stewards? See, I have, I have learned to surround myself with people who are smart and all these things. I can learn from them. So I can ask people who know more than me about things I don't know, and that's, that was the secret of Henry Ford. Henry Ford surrounded himself with people that knew everything. He barely had a, a junior high education, but he's smart enough to surround himself with the smartest people, and he sought counsel from people who knew more than him and things he didn't know. Now, that's practical in the business world, but the legacy of that goes on. How much more in the kingdom of God? I've seen so many people wreck their lives in 35 years of ministry, even, with, even when they're in ministry, when they've sought counsel or heeded counsel from the wrong people. Consider the source of the counsel. And if it doesn't start in Christ, glorify Christ, and proclaim Christ, and draw, draw you closer to Christ, it's probably not going to be good counsel. And I, the only time I can think of when you get any counsel from an ungodly person is because they're a professional and a skill set that you need to learn related to your job in which case you need to understand they're teaching you a skill, but they're not teaching you on matters of spirit, mind, truth, and body, and eternity, right? It's important. But the influences are not only with people we hang out with. Because so often as you move forward in life with the Lord, you, you move on to a new friend group. We realize that when we come to Christ, almost always. And even sometimes when you're going forward, like if you're just going forward in life and you're becoming a faithful steward and you're faithful in things and God's giving you increase... 
in a world of takers, you know, like you're a giver, you're, you're going to be moving toward givers because the taker is going to take everything that's being given to you. Givers gravitate toward other givers. Iron sharpens iron. And you, you have these influences. They say we can know so much about a person by what, what books they have in their library. If you don't have any library, that reflects a lot. But the books you read reflect who you are and who's shaped you. I've said this before. There's about five women that have had profound influence on my life. One of them I've never met in person, Elizabeth Elliot. But her books have profoundly shaped and molded me like a spiritual mom. The influences we have. When you, the media, social media, these things push buttons. I haven't had any news, any news, and any news. I haven't seen any news forever. And then Timmy texts me on Saturday saying, hey, looks like the white and red army in Russia is going down right now. Because we both know history. You know, Russia had like an attempted coup, I guess, on Saturday or something like that. And the white and the red army, that's the Russian Civil War, the Bolshevik Revolution, all that stuff. So he's just, in, he's dialoguing with that. So me, like, oh, what's going on in Russia? Like, whoa, what is this? Whoa. Yeah, this is like the red and the white army, you know? It's like this. You know, and just looking at the news for 10 minutes, I feel defiled. Do you feel defiled when you look at the news? I'm just saying anyone's news. It's, to, it's actually defined, it's, it's designed to defile you. Ignorance is bliss when it comes to the things that are passing. If you need to know something, you'll know. If it's the end of the world, you'll know. Until then, advance the kingdom of God in your world. Yes and amen. So this is a good reminder. Think about who's influencing us, whose counsel we're following. And of course, the word of God is always sound counsel. It's always the foundation of all counsel. And all good counsel will ultimately direct us to Christ, make us more like Christ, and advance the purposes of Christ. And if it doesn't do that, for in him we're complete. If we don't see Jesus as the author and finisher of counsel, then why are we following it? And if that's not the author of the voices we're listening to, then, you know, why are we listening to it? And as you take in things that you just take in because of your jobs or your skill set, you know, just filter it with the word of God and with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the person of Christ. That, that, that's a good word here because he rejected good counsel and it was the beginning of his end. Now we read on in chapter 11, verse 1. Now, when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled from the house of Judah and Benjamin 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against Israel, that he might restore the kingdom of Rehoboam. But the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all Israel and Judah and Benjamin, saying, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up or fight against your brethren. Let every man return to his house, for this is from me. Therefore, they obeyed the words of the Lord and turned back from attacking Jeroboam in the north. So Rehoboam in the south dwelt in Jerusalem and built cities for defense in Judah. And he built Bethlehem, Etam, Tekoa, Bethzur, Shoko, Aldulam, Gath, Mershah, Ziph, Adoram, Lachish, Azkah, Zorah, Ashalon, Hebron, which are in Judah and Benjamin, fortified cities, and he fortified the strongholds and put captains in them and stores of food and oil and wine. Also in every city he put shields and spears and made them very strong, having Judah and Benjamin on his side. The record in the text net will show us that in spite of the initial just colossal mistake in what we just read in the previous chapter, chapter 10, with heeding bad counsel, 
Rehoboam actually had a pretty good start. The first few years was, were good years, and we see that here in this text. Now, he's, he's, he's in a rage. They killed his tax man. You know, like your governors and presidents don't like you killing their tax collectors. You know what I'm saying? Like, that'll get them going. So he's just worked up in a rage. He gets all of his military together. Now, think how much military he has in Judah and Benjamin just from what Solomon built. Solomon had an incredible military. Current weapons, everything's modernized. He's, he's ready to do war if we're going to do war. And he's going to do it. He's enraged. And the Lord sends this prophet to him. And God bless this prophet who did him a huge favor and just... We already saw this with Ammon. Remember when David sent comforters to Ammon to co- comfort the prince? He could have David on his side and had a coalition and a business partnership. and a, oh, Instead, he, he humiliates David's guys. You know, he cuts their pants off and all that stuff and humiliates them. And what happens? He goes to war. All, tens of thousands of people die. He loses all of his wealth. He loses everything and they're, and they're bondage to Israel within just a few, within like a year or so. In other words, when that prince started out his political career, he made a colossal mistake picking war, picking a battle with the wrong people, David. Well, here, Rehoboam's just become king, and he's about to go to war with the brethren in the north, the ten tribes in the north. And is that, is that going to strengthen him or weaken him? Is that going to bring life or take death? You, really, you know, we learn this in life, and we older people, we understand this. You pick your battles you, you get selective. You get wiser. You pick your battles. When you're young, you're kind of like, ah, take on everybody. You, know, you just get a little older, and you're like, it's not worth it. And there's great wisdom. In fact, the whole Bible teaches us to make res- resolution to avoid these things. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is like, just go figure it out with your neighbor. Tell him you're sorry and figure it out so you both don't get thrown in jail or something. Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll inherit the kingdom of God. We want our disposition to be like this prophet. We're like, hey, let's think this through. You know, we we want people to associate us with bringing people together and understanding and listening to people and giving room for uh, different ideas and different thoughts so we can find resolution and common ground so we can truly coexist in that sense. There's always going to be only one way to heaven, so don't misunderstand me. We know that. It's Jesus. But just because someone's not going to heaven doesn't mean we want to blow them up or have them blow us up, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, we want to share the plan and try and get along with people. And the more you take time to understand how other people think, the, the more beneficial it is for you. See, I'm always a talker, and God's got me on the planet still to be more of a listener and less of a talker, to understand and listen to people. I've always observed people, but just listening and, and learning from people. We had a situation not long ago. Where I, was, I was following a guy on a YouTube channel. He was a financial guy, very interesting guy, pretty smart, too, uh, immigrant. Uh, from like Pakistan or whatever, and he's a he's a ski, you know, like the ski religion. It's like more like a philosophy, like Confucianism. It's kind of like that. So a little bit of Islam mixed in it. So it's just a little mixture of religions, but it's really about how you treat other people. The basis of the religion is treating your treating. It's a golden rule: treat others how you want to be treated. So this guy in his in his uh, monetary advice and counsel on things. It's good practical financial stuff for especially for young people getting started. He, you know, had his, had his turban on. He said all this stuff. And he's like, well, as we say as skis, you know, doing others, you'd have them do to you. And like, oh, okay, that's a universal truth. We understand that. But I, I began to kind of understand where he's coming from. You know what I'm saying? Like, most of us don't think how a Middle Easterner thinks living in Detroit. But you listen to a guy that's an immigrant from the Middle East that settled in Detroit. That's your entry point when you come from the Middle East. And, you know, became successful in America. And you, okay, let's, let's hear this guy out. I mean, he's 
extremely successful from a worldly standpoint, and you understand he's got a good philosophy how he treats people. I got educated on how skis think. Just by actually even, yeah, I got educated. Like, oh, this is how this guy thinks. He's not trying to blow us up or something or bring down our buildings or something like that. It's like this, he's like, it's a peaceful religion. It's a loving religion, that kind of a thing. Well, a couple months ago here at church, we had a family come here from the Middle East. Brandon spoke with them. I spoke with them. They're in a panic. They were skis. And they have a son at home that they're terrified of. And, you know, this background to it. They were desperate. And someone told them about our church. It was after service. And they were waiting for me. I'm like, these people weren't in the service. What, like, they're, they're clearly Middle Eastern. Like, what, what, what's, what's this? Well, let's find out. What, let's find out, you know? And when they told me there were skis, I, I wasn't clueless. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm not saying you need to study world religions, but I'm just telling you, I wasn't clueless. I understood their philosophy of life because I've heard someone telling that philosophy of life. And so, and they're immigrants, and I, we appreciate, my, my, we're all from immigrants, essentially, most of us, if not all of us, at some point in time. And I was like, so it really helped me to listen to them. And I say this because it's just so much better to look for common ground and be a peacemaker than to try and find what you can argue about and divide people. Danny Gutierrez did a Catholic memorial not so long ago for extended relative of this congregation. And being Latino, I wasn't quite sure. Like, you know, with Latinos and Catholics, it's like, you know, either you get these very devout Latino Catholics, like my mom was as an Irish Catholic, Catholic, uh, Irish immigrant, descended. And then you get, you know, uh, evangelical Latinos that just, they want to fight the Catholic Church. They want to they throw, throw haymakers at Benedict, you know, whatever. It's like, they're, you know, it's, it's, there's, no, there's no having a quinceanera with them. That's yeah, just not going to happen. Uh, it's just the truth. And then you get some evangelical Latinos who like, hey, they get it. It's like, dude, I get it. It's no big deal. You know, son of God, we're good. Let's find common ground. Let's, let's have a, you know, let's, let's have a fiesta or, you know, whatever. Seriously. When I approached Danny Gutierrez about doing this memorial, I thought he'd be so good. Wouldn't you agree with me? Wouldn't you agree that Danny Gutierrez would be so good for a Catholic memorial? You wouldn't know what to do. If you're the serious abuela, you know, you're, you know you're, you're Catholic and you're super serious. Like, and you see him like, how can you not love this young man filled with the Spirit singing songs about Jesus? What Catholic's going to argue with that? What evangelical's going to argue with that? And you just you see like, people like someone like Danny bring people together. That's, in that moment, that's, that's how you want to approach it. This prophet kept... Jeroboam and Rehoboam from going to war and seeing tens of thousands of people die over their pride from their positions of power. And it was a good word. He protected them from going to war. So praise the Lord. He kept them. And give Rehoboam some credit here. He didn't go to war. In fact, what did he do? He recognized, because this is where you see his wisdom from his dad, he recognized, mm, that's not a good battle. You pick your battles, right? You, mm, yeah, that's not a good battle. When he thought it through, yep, the Lord said, yep, we received that. Yeah, I'm better. What I'm, rather than fighting 10 tribes that don't want me to lead them and do business with me, I'm, I'd be wiser to consolidate the two tribes that recognize me as their king. And I'd be wiser to put my leaders all over every city and fortify these cities and strengthen what is happening as opposed to pick a battle with what is not happening. It's a good word. 
with your job, with your relationships, with your finances. You don't focus on what isn't happening and look for conflict over it. What you should do is focus on what God is doing and get stronger with what he's given you. That's what we want to do. Because the woman, the man that's faithful in a few things will be entrusted with more things. So it's not about fighting someone to get back something they took from you in, in this case. Because God took it from you. <laughs> like John the Baptist said, a man can receive nothing unless it comes from above. And this Rehoboam lost ten tribes and no battle. He's not going to win these battles. It's a, it's, a ba- it's a bad plan to fight these guys in any way, shape, or form. But it's a smart adjustment to say, hey, you know what? Let's focus on Hebron and these other cities. And let's... Let's fortify them with military units, spears, swords. Let's strengthen our boundaries. Let's put the food there. Let's do military training there. Let's, let's get stronger with what we do have. So he started well with that. I just think there's a good word. There's a good word for us to, I just, when I'm on my deathbed, and I will be someday, or I'm just going to step into eternity. I heard today of talking to the son of one of my friends I grew up with, a surf photographer. He passed away a few months ago. I knew that. I'm actually picking up slides tomorrow, hundreds of slides from Carlsbad, 1973, 1977. I can't wait to see them. The dad took these photos. He stepped into eternity a couple months ago. But when speaking with his son today, the, the dad was older. He had, he had, you know, what so often happens, like dementia, uh, that kind of stuff. But he got out of the house. He ran out of the house. He ran out of the house. And when he ran out of the house, he had a heart attack. And he collapsed and died on the street there in Oceanside in front of their place where they lived. So I just remind us, we're going we're gonna to go. We might have dementia and run out the front door and not even know where we're going and then just have the heart attack right then and there. And then our son's going to show up, our daughter's going to show up, and you're going to see a yellow blanket over our body because that's what the son saw when he got there from work 30 minutes later. There is an end, and it's good to be reminded of it pretty much every time we come here. And when I get to the end of my journey, I want the Lord to say to me, not just well done, good and faithful servant, but well done, peacemaker, representative of the kingdom of God. I don't want him to say like, Joy, why did you want to fight everybody over everything? Why did you have to send out the I know it all newsletter to all the other churches? Why didn't you just look for common ground and love on people and serve people? Yeah? When I breathe my last breath and you breathe your last breath, may you be found as a peacemaker and a woman who reconciles people horizontally because ultimately you're motivated to rec- reconcile them vertically. Human to human because we're trying to get it right. Human to the living God. And people will listen to peacemakers much more than any fool can rant and rave. That's what the Proverbs say, right? Even a fool's kind of wise when he holds their peace. Any fool can stir up trouble. It takes a godly woman or wise woman to, to speak peace and help people understand, like, mm, let's just, let's just, Let's focus on what is happening rather than pick a war over something that we're not going to win that's not happening. And who's ever fought the Lord and prevailed anyways? It's all a test. Verse 13. And from all those territories, the priests and the Levites who were in all Israel took their stand with him, for the Levites left their common lands and their possessions and came to Judah. And uh, for... For Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them from serving as priests to the Lord. So there in the northern kingdom, all the Levites that lived there, they were rejected to serve the Lord uh, under the reign of Jeroboam in the north. So they all came to the south. So verse 15 says, Then he appointed for himself, this is Jeroboam in the north, priest 
for the high places for the demons and the calf idols which he made. And after the Levites left, those from all the tribes of Israel, such as set their heart to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord God of their fathers. So they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, strong for three years because they walked in the way of David and Solomon for three years. It's such a good start. We don't, we don't really think about Rehoboam ever being good, but he had a good start. Then Rehoboam took for himself his wife, Mahalath, the daughter of Jeremoth, the son of David, and Abihail, the daughter of uh, Eliah, the son of Jesse, and she bore him children, Jeush, Shemariah, Zaham, after her. He took Makkah, the granddaughter of Absalom, and she bore him Abijah, Atai, Ziza, and Shilameth. Now, Abijah will become the next king. Now, Rehoboam, verse 21, loved Makkah, the granddaughter of Absalom, more than all of the, his wives and his concubines, for he took 18 wives and 60 concubines and begot 28 sons and 60 daughters. And Rehoboam appointed Abijah, the son of Makkah, as chief to be leader among his brothers, for he intended to make him king. And he dealt wisely and dispersed some of the sons throughout all the territories of Judah and Benjamin to every fortified city and gave them provisions in abundance. He also gave them, uh, he also sought many wives for them. This is so political, right? I mean, come on, let's just, let's just talk about the human nature. Let's talk about men. You want to get men to be loyal? Give them power, give them women, and give them wine. Because, you know, I mean, sometimes I'm embarrassed for men, the sons of Adam. Like, this is so, like, this is so carnal and so uh, debased. For the, this is so contrary to the kingdom of God. But Solomon, excuse me, Rehoboam, he gained wisdom from his dad. He's like, listen, man, like the devil said, skin for skin, yea, all the man has, he'll give to save his life. And we might say, yeah, skin for skin, all man has. If you give him power, women, and wine, he's going to probably just be that guy and just do whatever you tell him to do. Isn't this how it works in politics? When everyone's been exposed, does it always involve wine, women, and power? Of course it does. Are we ever surprised when we find out all, all these hidden corruptions invite other countries, our politicians, their descendants, and their descendants' descendants, that it's wine, women, and power? Money? There's nothing new under the sun. Rehoboam's like, okay, I'm going to spread my sons out. They'll be looking out for my interests. I'm going to give them what they want to feed their flesh. They'll do what I tell them to do, and that's how I'm going to do politics. And isn't that the way most of the world does politics? You'd say, well, that's the way they do it in America. Listen, that's the way they do it almost everywhere. Almost everywhere. But we're not politicians. And if you are, be a good one and a godly one. That's not how the kingdom is. And just like Solomon taking Pharaoh's daughter was the beginning of his end, this is Rehoboam. Uh, this is the start of bad decisions. And by the way, isn't it interesting there in verse 16 where everyone migrated from the north to the south that was godly? It was kind of like, is there anything new under the sun? How many people left California the last few years because they didn't like the government here and they thought it was ungodly and anti-religious? Where do they go? States that are perceived as being more godly and more religious. But what can happen? Those same states can become ungodly and, and unreligious, right? You just don't know. Human history is migration of people fleeing some totalitarian government to go to some place that seems more free and that becomes less free eventually and they go somewhere else. Like that's just the cycle of humanity. The church is regularly persecuted in the midst of this and human beings are always essentially looking for freedom. And what happened in America in the last three years, the massive migration from really authoritarian, totalitarian type of states, 
very repressive state governments when they left the New England states, New York, New Jersey, California, and they went to Texas, Tennessee, Carolinas, and Florida, they, they, those states are identified with greater religious freedom. But know this, these people who fled here to, in the north to go to the south, it was only a matter of time before it was just as bad in the south as it was in the north. But you know, this is what I look at when I think about their migration. You do the best you can, right? You do the best you can. We've watched lots of people leave their godly governors for the next 50 years for your children's children, right? If not, stay on track with the Lord because it's not the governors determine whether we're fruitful or not. It's the person we look at in the mirror and where they're at with the living God. I just, it got my attention that they migrated for a better political situation. I'm like, <laughs> look at that, yeah. Okay, verse 12, chapter 12. Uh, now we're going to wrap up Rehoboam tonight. So now it came to pass when Rehoboam had established a kingdom, he strengthened himself that he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel along with him. Yeah, they're in it together. And it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because he had transgressed against the Lord and he came with 1,200 chariots, 60,000 horsemen and people without number who came with him out of Egypt. The Lubim, the Sukkim, and the Ethiopians of that whole part of the world, they all unify as a coalition. And he took the fortified cities of Judah and came to Jerusalem. Well, so much for those fortified cities we just read about, right? Pharaoh took them. Then Shemaiah the prophet, here we go, came to Rehoboam and the leaders of Judah who were gathered together in Jerusalem because of Shishak and said to them, Thus says the Lord, you have forsaken me, and therefore I also have left you in the hand of Shishak. So the leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves, and they said, The Lord is righteous. And now when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, saying, They've humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. My wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Nevertheless, they will be his servants, that they may distinguish my service from the service of the kingdoms of the nations. So Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem, took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took everything. He also carried away the gold shields which Solomon had made. Then King Solomon made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guard would go and bring them out and they would take them back in the guard room. And when he humbled himself, uh, the wrath of the Lord turned from him so as not to destroy him completely And things also went well in Judah. So there's a reprieve. Thus King Rehoboam strengthened himself in Jerusalem and reigned. Now Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem. The city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was uh, Nama and Ammonitus. Remember, his dad's Solomon, so that's one of his unequally yoked marriages. So his mother's name was Nama and Ammonitus, and he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. The acts of Rehoboam, first and last, were they not written in the book of Shemaiah the prophet and of Edo the seer concerning genealogies? And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. So Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. Then Abijah, his son, reigned in his place. A couple things here to close out the night in this chapter. When they humble themselves, good things happen. And this was the whole t- application point just last week. When we humble ourselves, it is always a good thing. You just can never go wrong when you humble yourself. 
you, you put yourself in a place where God can bless you and it's going to get better. So choosing humility, recognizing pride and choosing humility is always something that God's going to bless and honor. And here, this king's done all these bad things, but the moment he humbles himself, it turns the tide more favorably for his personal life and the ministry he has with everybody. So we, we take that. Also in the chastening, the Lord says that they can distinguish between me, me being their king and the, the Pharaoh being their king. See, sometimes when people fight the Lord, they're like, I'm just going to go do this. And then they're given over to their sin and they're given over to darkness and they implode on themselves. As it says in Romans 1, they're given over to depravity, their darkened hearts, their darkened minds. And then they just, oh, it's like the prodigal son. They're feeding the pigs and they're eating pig food and they realize they come to their senses and they say, it was better or the servants of my father's house do better than this. And sometimes people we love, like my sister on the streets for six years, as a consequence of drugs, bad men, and bad choices, even some legal trouble, she would not surrender to the Lord. But once she surrendered to the Lord, it all turned out for better for her, and the rest is good fruit in her life. But she's distinguished, so now when she's tempted, if she would be tempted, she, doesn't, she knows what it's like to go all the way down that path to be fully addicted to the pain meds, to limp around with a broken knee. She just had another knee surgery to not take care of her body, to get in fistfights with other homeless people, to beg for food. She knows it's a good thing that God has for her, and there's a contrast. And even when God talked about captivity, captivity would teach the people what they, what, how good it was what they lost, and would make them yearn to have that restored. We saw that in the prayer of Solomon, and we'll see that as we go forward uh, through the Old Testament and these historical books. But those bronze shields, come on now, man. That's just like, whew. If there ever was something so symbolic of someone not seeking the Lord, he was so set up for success. He lived 41 years. He was, became king at 41 and was a king for 17 years. He lived 58 years. WG just celebrated 18 years as a church. That means this man with all this power, it was less than we've been here in this building. He sold his soul for rock and roll, Right? For what? For what? Daddy gave him gold shields. The bully from down south came and took him, and he made bronze shields. There's just there's something about me picturing them bringing the bronze shields in and out every time they went in and out. That's just so like wow, what a decline, and all because he went more toward his mom's faith than the faith he could have received from his dad. He chose the way of the Ammonite as opposed to the way of the Israelite. He chose the false gods on the hills that his mom had worshipped instead of the God of Israel. He did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. And I'm going to say this in closing. When we prepare our heart to seek the Lord, we stay where the gold shields are. Because gold is the color of heaven. But when you harden your heart to the Lord, and you make this compromise and that compromise, and these things add up, man, you're going for bronze. You're going for the bronze altar out front of the temple, and you're not going to the holy place. You're in the killing place. You're bronze. Bronze shields. And, so, and then you're at 58 and you're dying and all you can look at is bronze shields. And think about what could have and should have been. What a tragic ending. I'll leave you with my quote that we have with the U.S. Olympic Committee. Go for the gold. Okay? Go for the kingdom gold. You know what I'm saying? Go for the eternal things and, and, and let someone else settle for earthly things that are bronze. Yes and? Amen. Amen.